Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope all is good with you and yours. And thank you for being here as always. Another week of our off-season is done and dusted. Has anything happened? No? No, it hasn't. And the week has been pretty much dominated by the same two names we've heard over and over this summer, Gabriel Jesus and Yuri Tielemans. And beyond that, there wasn't anything of great substance when it comes to Arsenal transfers until like literally about an hour ago. And I should point out the first part of this podcast was recorded before the news broke that we are, it seems, extremely interested and possibly quite far down the line in signing a 22-year-old player from Porto called Fabio Vieira, I think it's pronounced. I'm not sure. I haven't really heard that name before. A 22-year-old attacking midfield player got 16 assists for Porto in all competitions last season. I've done some very uh, brief in inverted commas, scouting by watching a couple of YouTube videos and some clips on Scout. Technically, he looks very good. He's creative. He's got some end product. Lovely quick feet at times to get out of challenges or to win some free kicks in dangerous areas. And having never really heard of him until now, I'm absolutely all in. Bring him to North London. I will be devastated now if this doesn't happen. So that's a nice little development. Um, A player that maybe, uh, when you look at his profile, um, I saw people saying, does this mean Tielemans isn't happening? Different kind of player by the looks of it. He looks like he could play where Saka plays. He also looks like he could play where Odegaard plays. And we don't really have anyone to uh, share the burden too much with Martin Odegaard. So I think that is something that we've had to think about this summer. And what I like about this as well is that uh, apparently the discussions and all that kind of stuff have been going on for weeks and weeks and weeks and nothing has been in the media. Not a single dicky bird. This is clearly something that they've uh, kept under wraps as much as possible. But of course, in this day and age, transfer news comes out eventually, and it does look as if he could be a player who could join Arsenal this summer. We'll have to wait and see if he does. If he does, we will do a proper deep dive podcast for you, as we always do over on Patreon. For now, though, we'll just uh, keep our fingers crossed that another technical attacking player is coming into this squad, because the more of those we have, the better in my opinion, and uh, it gives us depth in in key areas of the pitch. So fingers crossed on that one. Uh, Before we get into the main bit of the show, I got a a, a parcel, a package 
during the week and um, I got a message from the post office here in Ireland to say, there's a package here, but we're not delivering it to you until you pay the customs charges on it. And I was like, what is this? What is this package? And I had a look and it said in the description, uh, gift, membership gift. And I was like, mm, I wonder what that, oh, it could be, could be the Arsenal membership thing. And indeed, given that it was from the UK and Brexit now means that anyone who sends anything from the UK to Ireland uh, to receive it, we have to pay customs charges, which work out at about, I think about 25% of the nominal value of the package itself. Anyway, excitedly, I opened up my Arsenal membership pack for 2022-23 and I got a a plastic cup, um, some kind of tripod for a mobile phone that looks like it would struggle to hold up any mobile phone um, of the modern era, and a pair of weird tiny gloves with little red bobbles on the front of them. I think I had to pay four euros, something like that, for them to uh, deliver the package. And I would say the value of the items inside is about 40p. So if you're uh, in Ireland, maybe it's the same across Europe. I don't quite know um, if the same thing applies in other European countries that you have to pay to receive this package. Yeah, you might want to think about it. That's all I'm saying. I think they're just saving the money for the transfers. I mean, that's that's probably what it is. All right, then, let's get on with the show today. And we're doing the statements format today, which is where I put statements to my guest and they have to either strongly agree, agree, disagree, or strongly disagree with them. And we can obviously jump off those for various talking points along the way. And with me to do that from CBS Sports, it's James Bench. Hi, James. Hi, Andrew. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you very much. Before we get into the statements part of this, I just want to talk briefly about the fixture list, which was out today, Thursday, as we're recording. Arsenal away to Crystal Palace on the opening day of the season, starting the season again on a Friday night, uh, tinfoil hat and all that kind of stuff. But um, <laughs> j- just some brief thoughts on the on the fixture list. I mean, I, I look at October and I go, ooh, and I look at April and go, ooh. Uh, but the start to the season itself, I think there have been more challenging ones in recent years for Arsenal. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you compare it to Unai Emery's first season or, or last season, mm. you take it, although I did... I mean, to be honest, uh, I'm kind of mentally assigning three points to Crystal Palace on that that game. I know, I know that Arsenal's record isn't as disastrous as we might think, but I think, you know, on the occasions, you know, where it's a night game, I know they won uh, quite awkwardly. They won back in 2020, 21, mm. but obviously last season and um, one of Wenger's later seasons, those 3-0 losses, I think a boisterous Selhurst Park and it will certainly be that on the the first day of the season. It's the sort of place that spooks Arsenal, and I know that I, I you know I would expect it to be a very different team, a, a team with a few more uh, reasons to be excited. But yeah, I, I feel like it's going to be a really tough opening game. But like you say, a chance to build momentum, and I think that's something Arsenal have needed. It feels like it's been a long time since they've had a season where they're not behind the eight ball, mm. where they're not playing catch up until November. December at the at best and I think if, if they could get that run together if they could go into October in a good position yeah um, it would be alright and none of those big clusters of horrible games which always seem to hit Arsenal and you know I think it, it's, a, it's a big boost not to have that because they can spoil momentum yeah I mean Although there are as, go on sorry 
I was going to say, as last season proved, it doesn't have to be against three top quality teams for no. them to have a cluster of t- horrible games. No, that is true. That is true. And look, I, I looked at Crystal Palace away and thought, oh God, you know, because it is a ground at which Arsenal have struggled. But I feel like this coming season, which is still uh, a good way away, is one in which Arsenal need to overcome some psychological blocks in many ways. One of which is, you know, dealing with a ground like Selhurst Park, where we found it difficult and overcoming the the atmosphere and the occasion and things like that. And, and you know, that old, that old thing or that whole thing about, you know, being able to deal with going behind in games and overcoming those kind of things. You know, it's a good chance maybe for Arsenal to show some, some progression in that regard, um, even if it is a, a case. Of, I think we've only won one of our last eight against Crystal Palace. So. I mean, I just look at it and I always think you, you just sort of assign every single game as a defeat, don't you? Maybe that's just me, but you don't, oh, I don't like the look of that. Don't like the look. Of, and then you're in mid-November and you go, I've not actually seen a game I think Arsenal will win yet. Uh, we'll we'll get there. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We've we, you know we've we've shown I think last season that we can uh, we can do things that might surprise people. Well, we're going to get on with the uh, the statements element of this podcast because the format is I put statements to you which have been kindly uh, sent in by our Patreon members on the Discord, and you have to either strongly agree, agree, disagree, or strongly disagree with those statements. And there's one about the fixture list. It comes from Aaron who says the fix. Your list makes no difference. For example, or he says that is who you play when has no impact on your final standings. Oh, strongly disagree. I think especially for a team like Arsenal this season, I, ha- I have to say I haven't checked the games, but my immediate thought is let's go and look at those Europa League games. Tell me who are Arsenal playing after the, the mm. group stages of those? Because I think there's again, you know, we're talking about that October run. Yeah. I think that coincides with. And, you know, a concertinaed Europa League group stage. I think similarly, April is around the time when Arsenal would be intending to be playing in the quarterfinals and semifinals. Mm. And so, uh, of course, it matters what games you end up with at that stage of the season. Of course, kind of going back to what we were saying earlier about, you know, it matters that there is going to be, there is, I mean, I said there wasn't one, but, you know, there is a potential run in early October that could spoil any momentum where they're playing Tottenham, Liverpool, Leeds, Man City and you know mm. four points out of that seems like it might be par and that really does you know it, it it spoils momentum whereas if you're you know if the fixture list is is kind to you freakishly kind and it it spreads out all those big six games spreads out you know gives you some some favorable games at home I, I think it does and you know I, I was talking about this earlier um in terms of the Liverpool Man City race, where you know the standards are so high that even something like City playing four games at home after European games, that could, you know, that could be a swing mm. issue. Similarly, you know, when it comes to the top four race this season, I think we probably all think that there will be a very fine gap between whoever's in third and whoever's in sixth. That would be my immediate view right now. Mm. Absolutely, having some good fixtures, you know, at important stage of the season can make all the difference in the world. So yeah, strong disagree. Yeah, I would disagree. I know where I know where he's coming from in the sense that you've got to play 
somebody mm. you've got to play them anyway at some point so you might as well just you know crack on and, and deal with it but look you can't have an easy run particularly through those um thursday sunday weeks in the group stage of the uh, of the europa league and you know for the record arsenal's fixtures in october are uh, spurs liverpool leeds man city southampton and nottingham forest and then chelsea uh, as the first game in november so as we head towards that mid-season break for the World Cup, uh, that schedule is is pretty taxing. And um, yeah, I mean, you think about, as you said, Unai Emery, his first two games were Man City and Chelsea. Last season, Brentford, an occasion that, you know, we couldn't deal with for various reasons, some of which um, of our own making, others outside of our control when you think about the COVID cases and everything else. But then you've got Man City and you've got Chelsea. I mean, just on that, how... Do you think that fixture list will in any way change the way that Mikel Arteta and Edu are thinking about their summer business? Because you could say if you get the business done nice and early, you've got a full squad with lots of options that could take maximum points from those games. The flip side of that might be they look at it and go, well, you know what, that gives us a little bit of wiggle room towards the end of the transfer window, it means we can maybe do some deals a bit later uh, in the window, which I know not everyone or not anyone, in Mm -hmm. fact, wants to hear. Nobody wants to hear that we're going to go all the way to deadline day, but that is the reality of the market. Uh, It pushes clubs, not just Arsenal, to do deals later in the window. But, I mean, do you think they might be thinking, you know, if we can get these deals done early and well, we can get off to a flying start, particularly after last season? I, I would think that that end of it is more likely, isn't it? And I, mm. and I think it almost what will be playing in their mind just as much is how difficult it was for Arteta to to even pick up those three points against Brentford and, you know, even the early games in, in September, although they won them, mm. still building all those automatisms or whatever you want to call them. Um, I, I think, you know, and I, my understanding is they are really set on the, the two main signings, we know the names, we know the positions, we kind of know everything. They would really like to get them done in time for early in pre-season um, for exactly that reason, you know, get, get them in, get them settled and get into September in mm. a really rosy position in the table. I I, I think, but, but like you say, I wonder maybe the, the, the lower priority deals, the let's see what we can do at the end of the, at the end of the window. I think it, there's an argument to then just, Bide your time. You don't mm. need to rush, you know. Bit of patience there. Okay. Yeah. But like you say. Yeah, I mean the big it, one's done. Yeah. Get those two main ones in and and uh you know, it's a good start and then maybe you can add the depth and it's about what kind of depth uh we add as well though. Like as a I think there needs to be a bit more starting quality depth. Um, yes, in the team, you know, because we, we saw last season that some of the the squad players weren't necessarily trusted or if they were forced into action the drop off was was a bit too big so on that basis here's a here's one from let me see if i can find it here uh i should have these okay yeah it comes from atty who says bringing in a quality addition to compete with bakayo saka on the right will help his development more than it will hinder it Yes, I, I I would agree with that. Um, I think maybe that's kind of uh, well. I mean, how could how could you not really? I, I don't think that Saka will kind of 
me to fear that he's not going to start week in, week out. But I do think, you know, it, it will help him and possibly also encourages Arsenal and him to try him to try out different positions. You know, I, I think Saka could make a great 10 one day or uh, an eight for a, a weaker opponent. And, you know, if you've got a, let's say, Rafinha um, playing wide on the right, then yeah, I mean, you know, it's more options, more flexibility. I should say on Rafinha as well, one of the things that I was told is that they think he could also get some minutes, not not many, as, as, a, as a nine. So um, there's there's that side to it. Our Arsenal are thinking that Rafinha is a potential option like, at nine I, in that false nine kind of yeah vibe. in a in a similar like I, I mean look you know we have to say with with Gabriel Jesus there the pitch is basically we're signing you to play thirty five Premier League games mm. as, as the starting number nine but they kind of look at a player like Rafinha as someone that could could do could do minutes there. That's one thing I've, I've heard uh, on that. But that's a bit of a sidetrack. But yes, no, I, I agree with that. I think the question that, that you kind of have with signing that right winger is whether it's just the right place to, to, to plonk resources. I probably lean on the side of yes, because I think you've got Smith Rowe who can cover as a 10 and an, uh, 10 and 8, a left winger, Martinelli as well. And... Yeah, you know, you make Saka more versatile. Whoever you sign as a right winger, he can probably play on the left as well. And like I say, he can probably play as a, get minutes as a false nine striker, however you want to use him. I think fluidity and variety, it, it all works. So yes, I, I but one, I agree that it, um, that it, um, it will be good for Saka's development to have competition to play elsewhere. Um, and also I think it's, it is a good place to put resources. You just need to find a way to, mm. uh, clear out um nicola pepe to be frank well there's there's a different discussion and uh yeah myself and uh james talked about that on on monday in the Arscast extra it is a it's an the solution is obvious but getting there is complicated yeah. sort of like looking across the river at a beautiful oasis but you know, you've got to cross crocodiles and piranha fish and all that kind of stuff and uh, jump on logs to get there. I, I, I'll have to wait and see. But do you, do you worry a bit about Saka and the physical demands that have been placed on him in the last two years, maybe 18 months in particular, post-Euros, hugely relied upon, um, and understandably so, by Mikel Arteta, and then away with England. He's only just finished this week. I mean, part of their thinking must be they've got to have somebody who can help him in that regard. If we, we can talk about him playing left wing, 10, 8, I, I think he's talented enough to play anywhere across that, you know, um, second forward line, if you want to call it that, rather than than striker. And certainly in midfield, he's got the, the ability to do it. But I do wonder if part of what we're thinking will be, we have a very, very, important asset here that we have to look after in some ways yeah you, you look at what Manchester City and and even Liverpool when they play far more games than than Arsenal you look at how they you know their wide forwards just do not start week in week out even the very best of them and even a, a Kevin De Bruyne he, he gets more sort of rest time allotted to him and you know we know what's happened at Arsenal with with talented youngsters like Jack Wilshere to an extent one might argue, mm. although I know there was, you know, there was that injury, but one could even put it, you know, put a case for a player like an, an Aaron Ramsey, Theo Walcott as well, that, you know, 
it is you, you, yeah, you do need to ease players into their bodies. Michael Owen, another example that comes to mind. And I think, you know, 18 months of this, it will, it will probably have an impact and, but it, you know, it could be a more sizable impact. The longer Arsenal just run Saka into, you know, run Saka hard. I thought he looked so tired for England. I mean, I, I watched that hungry game. It was dreadful all around the pitch, but um, you know, and he, when the ball came to him, he had ideas. He he looked like he might do something, but it was also just like yeah. the mind was a fair way ahead of where the legs were by that stage of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While we're on England, Elliot Watson asks, and you can um, answer this one because for me it's not really an issue, but he says England should should sack Gareth Southgate and get a new manager in for the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> disagree. I don't strongly disagree because I think it has got to the stage now where when a team is is struggling it's not like it's not a it's not a lunatic view i think it's the sort of fringe fringe sort of monster raving loony adjacent view of a manager that has taken england to a a world cup semi final and a european championships final i just everyone wants england to play this beautiful free flowing attacking football that pep guardiola jurgen klopp and eric ten hag and whoever else you want to name have years on the training ground to perfect and gareth southgate has sort of three weeks a year with half his squad that he wants to play at the world cup not missing or injured or whatever and people go well i mean why is this not pleasing to me in aesthetic terms you go well it's international football it's not supposed to be pleasing like you don't watch international football to it enjoy football at its highest art form you watch it to you know dig your own eyes out out of pure stress and tension at the possibility that your nation might be about to lose to germany yet again he he gets results i would not you know when he leaves uh england at some stage i will not be advocating for him to manage at arsenal because he's not an elite manager but elite managers don't want to do this job it's awful (laughs) <laughs> some would say that you know the international game w- would be the pinnacle of uh used to be anyway the idea that yeah. the international game was the pinnacle of the game and your football should reflect that i mean i completely understand why despite the successes there might be doubters of gareth southgate uh based on the way that he plays and you can say look he gets results and if arsenal had 35 1-0 wins next season we'd all be uh, delighted with that in the end but you know we have to suffer through that but uh yeah i don't see any change being made before uh, the world cup he does have a lot of really good attacking young players at his disposal which you know there's a tendency towards conservatism which maybe mm. doesn't reflect the depth and quality that he has in in certain positions. Um, But anyway, that's not my problem as an Irishman. So there we go. Um, (laughs) Adi Fash says, our transfer policy has ruined our ability to sell and may not recover for many years. Uh, I don't know what you think about this, but I, what I, I sort of lean towards disagree because I just, I just don't, there are things Arsenal could do better, a lot better, a lot, lot better when it comes to selling players. But then we say the same thing about United, about Tottenham, about Chelsea. Other than Liverpool and to an extent City, although, you know, that I mean, City obviously have the very specific circumstances that they are financially inured from making mistakes. The mistakes are irrelevant. Mm. The thing is... 
you, you can't bring a, a footballer to Arsenal without paying something approximating an Arsenal wage. Same at Tottenham, United, etc. And that Arsenal wage is just above and beyond so many clubs in Europe, other than the, you know, the very pinnacle. Mm. So the only players you can really settle are the players that the, the richest teams in Europe would want, which are your best players. So, I mean, like Lucas Torreira here is a, is a prime example. Like, you know, and I don't think Fiorentina have not, have not acted well in this, but in the end, you know, they were asked to, to pay 15 million euros, um, pay, you know, a new salary for Torreira. It's, these are huge expenses for, for a team like Fiorentina, even after they've sold Vlahovic, you know, they are running low on, you know, they are, they are running low on money after 18 months of pandemic. Here's a great example for me, Hector Bellerin. Mm. I think we all remember that that contract as a triumph for Arsenal. And I think we're right to do so um, at the time. You know, Barcelona wanted him. Manchester City wanted him. Chelsea wanted him. And he, he said, I'll stay six mm. years, you know, committing to what we kind of thought would be his prime years. Um, and now they can't, they can't shift shift him because I mean you know obviously hasn't developed in quite the way I mean Arsenal weren't really to know although it kind of goes back to what we were saying about Saka a little bit but Arsenal weren't really to know that he wasn't going to become one of the best fullbacks in Europe and you know he hasn't and therefore he's it wouldn't shock me if we end up talking about him being another player whose whose contract they have to tear up I think the contract thing it's hard to it's hard to get a read on a lot of other clubs would just be sending these players out on loan year in year out and almost doing the same thing and i think maybe there's an argument to just biting the bullet moving on not having to deal with it the, another year of it hmm. but obviously once you do it once or twice you know could you blame bellerin's agents if they said do for us what you did for mustafi kalasanak etc yeah of course and it's going to be very hard to change the expectation whilst Edu is there that that is just what you do. It, it, if you're not getting games, if you're on big wages, Arsenal will pay you to go away. But I do, I do think a lot of those those problems in, in 2022 are kind of intractable for the Premier League's richest clubs. And it's not unique to Arsenal. Of course, it feels like it because Arsenal fans live the Arsenal experience every day. But I can tell you, mm. you know, Manchester United have just gone through these problems with Lingard, Mata, Phil Jones... Twan Zabi, whoever you want to name, and they'll have it with Wan Bissaka. Mm. Yeah, happens. It is. I don't know that it's policy per se, as just the circumstances and, and the continued mm. um, expansion of the Premier League's wealth in relation to the uh, contraction in wealth across Europe because of the TV deals and because of how high profile it is. I do wonder, you know, particularly with the uh, Fiorentina and Torreira thing, if they looked at what Arsenal have done in the last number of years and said, well, we'd be idiots if we don't at least try to get a knockdown price on this guy. Like, you know, obviously they like him. He was player of the month three times. You know, he had a good season there. There's no reason why they wouldn't want to keep him. I did read a bit about how Torreira's agent... Uh, and the Fiorentina executives had a bit of a falling out, and that might be as much on Torreira's agent as it is on Fiorentina's uh, executives. And we know that their owner, he really, really does not 
um, think well of agents and the demands of agents and the demands of players in the modern game. He kind of has come from the States and thinks it's, it's, it's ludicrous and he's not going to get involved and he won't be held uh, over a barrel by anybody. But the perception of Arsenal as a selling club really is in a place where it needs to change. And I mm. do wonder if that might be part and parcel of of what we see this summer because there are some players who could go for a reasonable money. You know, Leno to Fulham, Maitland-Niles, Reese Nelson, not hugely high-profile guys, but because of their Englishness, Leno because of his experience and international experience selling to another Premier League club. I think there is the opportunity for Edu to, to perhaps shift it a little bit. I'm not saying turn it around completely, but I do think we are in a place where we are perceived because of what's happened in a very specific way that I think is just a little bit different. And maybe that's just me living the Arsenal experience, just a little bit different from other clubs who have difficulty selling players onto to Europe. Um, but it's going to be a challenge, isn't it, for Edu this, this summer? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of outgoing business to do as well as a lot of incoming business. Yeah, I think I, I mean that's a that's a really good point. And obviously, if you can find those Premier League teams to to take your squad players, I think that 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 is when the the transfer kitty blows up significantly. And we've seen that with you know who are the good where have the good sales gone to? They've gone to Newcastle with Willock, and they've gone to to Everton and and Liverpool um, with Iwobi and Oxlade Chamberlain. Yeah. And I think at the moment, Arsenal have a couple of players, like you say, Leno, Maitland-Niles, I mean, maybe Nelson, although from what I'm told, he's quite keen on going back to Europe and to a league where he could play in European competition. Mm. Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of the other challenge, isn't it? Is a, lot of them go, a lot of Arsenal's European players go, well, I don't really want to stay in the Premier League. I just yeah. haven't enjoyed it here because I've been, you know, on the fringes at Arsenal. Um, but, you know, I think... You, if you can kind of yeah you can change that reputation but I, I, it is hard yeah it's hard for people to not think of edu for as long as edu's at arsenal as the guy that rips up contracts um <laughs> and getting some good sales will certainly help that but, but may not change it entirely with with veterans and i'd be intrigued to see what happens if fulham doesn't pay off for for leno whether he's another one that you have those conversations about. I mean, that is also. that is a situation where, you know, the longer it goes in the window, you've got a goalkeeper who you know, you know, you've already replaced him basically because mm. they've got Matt Turner in. And then you're like, oh, we've got an abundance of resources here. I mean, it is part and parcel of, of how Arsenal are going to be able to buy is selling and it's, it's volume of sales rather than, I think, a big windfall on any particular player uh, that will bring in the, the kind of revenue that can be uh, invested elsewhere. Speaking of signings, we did make one, of course, and Trout says Marquinhos will play 500 plus minutes next season. Ooh. I mean, I kind of have to say I don't have a clue. I, I watch. I've kind of been on Y Scout, um, watched a little bit of it. I mean, he's a bit like more robust than I thought he would be. It's a polite way of putting it. He's he's not going to be a guy that's easily brushed off the ball. Obviously, the plan is he comes in in preseason, much like Martinelli did. Mm. And you'll remember out on that US tour, day one, day dot, people were blown away by Martinelli, um, and it was kind of apparent in those preseason tour games that, that Emery was going to give him a look. 
500 minutes? Oh, I don't know. It's impossible to know. Did, I mean, yeah, I, I like the look of him, I have to say. All right. I mean, the idea that I think um, was reported last week was that when Wolves were interested and had their whatever agreement they had with him, which, of course, you know, is, is by the by now, but they were going to loan him straight out to Grasshoppers, which would suggest that they don't think he's quite ready for Premier League, but Europa League group stage, that's an opportunity, I guess, to have a look at a guy who... Um, you know, in, in very real terms, up close and personal, you know, we know when Arsenal send players out on loan, they have people looking at them and they've got, you know, a, a, um, a dedicated loan manager to keep tracks of players and all that kind of stuff. But there's nothing quite like putting a guy into a match day scenario and seeing not quite sink or swim, but to see how he reacts and you can gauge the performances, engage the reaction of a player quite easily in that sense. So it's possible. But I think I would, I think I would disagree. I think he'll be well. Five hundred minutes—that's all competitions, not Premier League minutes. Five, 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 five and a half, half games. games. Yeah, I'm gonna say, yeah. Depending on the draw of the EFL Cup, I'll agree. So uh, the one other thing I'd, I'd throw in that that I mean, the World Cup intrigue or its impact on the Premier League mm. clubs is so intriguing in so many ways. I kind of think if you're thinking about loaning someone out for the whole season, then you've got to know, I mean, it's only three months. And I do think for three months with a player like Marquinhos, if he, if I mean, we're, we're guessing here a lot, aren't we? If he's good, if he's okay, if he's worthy of being in your squad, when mm. you're going to be playing a lot of games very quickly, I think better to, to have him around, especially when he's going to have to, you know, come back or sit around doing nothing between, between mid November and in January, so mm. I, 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 if I'm making a prediction with no no reporting, no nothing, I think he might just hang around for the first half of the season and then then head out. You okay, know, in, in January. Okay, um, where is the question that I was going to ask here? It comes from Sten Ten, who says, with Scotland not qualifying for the World Cup. Tierney will have his best season at the club to date, playing most of the matches he has so far in an injury, uh, a season injury free, benefiting hugely from the forced break he gets in November and December. Yeah, I agree with that. I'd not thought of that. That's a a very good point that that I've got very little to push back on. I still think it's important that, you know, Arsenal find a a lone home for for Nuno Tavares, who's clearly, for me, a player who needs to play week in, week out, make mistakes not in an Arsenal shirt um, and that Arsenal do have because he obviously Tierney is still I think vulnerable to impact injuries um, the, the likes of that it, it seems like they're going to dog him throughout his career so I think Arsenal will still need a backup but I, I like mm. that point it's a good point and one I hadn't considered so you think Nuno Tavares should go on loan next season yeah definitely because he, he, I think he needs I think he's good or he could be good but he's just so raw and I don't think you deal with that. You know, it puts me in mind of some of the sort of younger players that were coming through in the early Emirates era when, when Wenger would sort of not play them quite often enough, like maybe a Danielson, who I know actually did have that one season where he played a lot. An Armand Traore, dare I say. An Armand Traore is a much better example. You could see the talent there, but you only saw him once every, a few times every six weeks. Mm. 
And so they weren't getting the repetitions to learn what to do right. So I would loan out Tavares and, and get someone in, of course, as we were saying earlier, that, that really depends on being able to, to sell well, to, to up the budget a bit. Yeah, it's such an interesting one because if they do loan Tavares, they'd need another left back. If they buy another left back, it suggests that Tavares is pretty much surplus to requirements. Um, and we talked about Marquinhos in the first three months of the season and the Europa League games and, and everything else. I, I suppose it really depends on how they view his suitability to deputize for a long period if Kieran Tierney gets injured. Like, if he gets another injury and is three months out, are they confident that Nuno Tavares can cope? Uh, that might be the decision maker. I, well, yeah. I, I don't know exactly how you could be unless you've, you know, had discussions and uh, coaching over the course of the summer, whatever it might be. But then, of course, the player that we have been linked with um, as a potential arrival who could provide that cover at left back is, is Aaron Hickey, who's only 19. And similarly is, I'm not saying he's the same player as Nuno Tavares, but is he ready to come in and play for three, four months at left back at Premier League level if Tierney gets another injury. It is a really interesting... Like, if I was Mikel Arteta, I'd be so happy to have Kieran Tierney, but in the back of my mind, it's sort of like... I don't know. It's like someone tells you, I've put a bomb in your car. I might never explode the bomb, <laughs> but maybe one day when you're driving to the shops that bomb is going to go off. <laughs> now, it won't kill you, but it will wreck your car for a while. You'll have to bring it in the shop. I don't want to get too dark with all this. But <laughs> but that has to be in the back of your mind, right? When you're thinking about Kieran Tierney, is like, what a great player, what a great character. But, 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 you know, you're thinking, when is it going to happen? Um, oh, it's April, isn't it? It's always yeah, April. It's April. Set your watch by it. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean that's that's a situation that they're they're going to ha have to be thinking about. Um, Hayland Hurula says Gabriel Martinelli will score a dozen or more goals in the Premier League during the twenty two twenty three season. I think that's quite ambitious. I'm just kind of looking up now as I speak, so trying to fill some dead air while I try and look up how many he scored last season. I want to say it was sort of around five, so you're talking more than six. So doubling his output, he played 29 games, a lot mm. of them coming off the bench, but he's going to be coming off the bench next season if a new winger arrives. If a new winger doesn't, there's still Smith Rowe to, mm. to fit into this squad. Um, I would disagree my num but I think it will go up. I think that we saw him take strides in this season to become a much better player. I, I, I would be impressed by double figures. I think maybe eight or nine. And actually that's for a left winger, if you're going for top four, that's uh well maybe it's not it. <laughs> I I think the big we know we know that Arsenal's where Arsenal need to improve their goals. Eight, nine, ten, yeah, it's okay. It's not bad for a player of his age. I think he will eventually be fifteen-ish season. Yeah, yeah. I, I would, I would, I would hope for double figures at least from him in all competitions. 
not necessarily Ooh. Premier League because we do have those Europa League group stage games and, and you know, hopefully some uh, knockout ties in the Europa League, which, you know, aren't as taxing as they might be. So I think him taking a step forward next season, I, I think he can do more. I think he can deliver more. I think he's got more end product in him. For sure, there were some chances towards the end of the season which didn't quite go where he would have liked them to, but they weren't far away. And I just wonder if he's the kind of player, if he can get on an early uh, an early run of goals in the season, whether it's Premier League or Europa League, uh, I think that will stand him in good stead. So I would agree that he's capable of that um, in all competitions. In just Premier League terms, I'm not 100% sure. Um, we did have another one here from BF Jesus, who says an okay. Arsenal player will score more than 16 goals in the Premier League. 16's a lot, isn't it? 16's like top five in the... I mean, how, again, like, I think 16's about what Ronaldo scored. But then, you know, you kind of go through, I know you're not a big one for XG and all that, but when you look at who gets the, you know, per 90, the one of the highest XGs mm. in the Premier League, it's always that man, Gabriel Jesus. He gets shots away. He gets in positions. And I know that part of that's Man City, but I think a lot of it also does come down to the striker. Um, 16 yeah. 16 so the oh. players who got uh, Ronaldo got 18 Salah was top scorer at 23 um, some other guy also got 23 no idea who he is Ronaldo 18 <laughs> Harry Kane uh, don't know who that guy is never heard of him uh, Sadio Mane 16 De Bruyne 16 Diogo Jota 15 Vardy 15 but then you have someone like Wilfred Zaha who got 14 for Crystal Palace wow. which is a hell of a return you know, for, for, I'm not, I don't know how to say it for a player like him and a team like that. I don't mean it like that, but that is a really good return for a, you know, a, a left winger. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility. That's our guy sounds quite good. I wonder if Arsenal have ever tried to. Don't think so. <laughs> don't think so. <laughs> well, maybe be keen. But I mean, um, wouldn't that be kind of the, I don't mean to say the minimum requirement, but if you are bringing in someone like Gabriel Jesus and you are going to give him those 35, 36, maybe 38 games as your number nine, that, you know, I think people look at 20 goals as yeah. the mark of a, a top-class striker. And maybe that's not who he is or where he is just yet, but I think you've got to be looking at at least 15 from your main striker in the Premier League, at least 15. Um, and I think what's curious or interesting about Arsenal is the fact that there are goals from wide positions. Smith Rowe with 11 last season, Saka with 12 uh, from the wide areas. We've already talked about Martinelli. There could be another addition in there. You know, Martin Odegaard can score more. Um, so I think you're looking at minimum 15 as the the marker of a good season for, mm. for Gabriel Jesus, if he is a player. I know we're talking about him like we've... Um, like we've already got him, and that's not the case. I'm I'm sort of a little bit anxious about everything, of course, but you know that that's what you'd be looking for, right? Yeah, actually, you know, I I I think I'm going to lean towards agree because Arsenal did create a lot of chances last season, and they they were getting better mm. as the year wore on. Carry on on that trajectory. We know that's going. To, I mean, as you say, we don't know if it'll be Gabriel Jesus, but we know there'll be someone new and shiny, and you'd like to hope pretty good through the middle so like you say 16 that should be about right i'd be happy i'd be happy with that i think any more than that is a good good season so yeah 16, right. that, that's what we should expect oh 49 
says, William Saliba playing for the club will cause as much divide in the fan base as him being out on loan. Oh, strong, strong, strong agree. <laughs> I, I, I really, I, I, it's, you've got to be really careful about phrasing this, these sorts of things as well, haven't you? But um, I find it really sad for William Saliba that he has kind of been thrust into this role. And I don't know what it is about Arsenal, broader fan culture. And I really don't think we should take Twitter as being entirely representative, even of just the online fan community, mm-hmm. let alone, but also it plays a big driving role in it. And for whatever reason, Twitter in the Arsenal sphere needs a player to divide people. Obviously we all know, we all remember that we all fought in the Mesa Ozil wars Um we tried to get Nicola Pepe going, but I think obviously right now it's pretty clear that it's hard to to divide people on that. I think we all, but mm. yeah, people want to argue, and um, Saliba will naturally provoke. Just he he will because he will be the person that is spoken about every time Gabriel or Ben White make a mistake, and I think. You know, there will there will be those who sort of whose natural inclination is to argue against that, and will be looking for for Saliba slip ups. It's so perverse because I don't think Arsenal have managed this situation well, but where they've landed in is a perfectly decent spot where they have a a very good young centre back who you know they obviously they would like to keep, they would like to bring into the team, they'd like to keep. Um, who, but if if that doesn't quite work out, he's obviously shown some talent and. You know, he can make, maybe earn Arsenal a decent return if he goes elsewhere. It doesn't need to be so divisive, but um, it is. And I don't really see much changing that unless Mikel Arteta decides to play back three um, no. to save our minds. I, I don't I don't see that happening. I don't see him playing a back three. And I just think there are, um, you know, a nuanced view of William Saliba is not really something that... Um, drives a lot of online debate. I mean, people have picked their sides, whether they think Mikel Arteta is a bastard for doing whatever happened or if William Saliba is being overhyped or whatever it is. I mean, I hope he comes in and does really well. I think it would be great for Arsenal to have three very good central defenders. Uh, I hope as well that he's able to cope with the expectation because when you sign an 18-year-old central defender who's barely played a dozen professional games for £28.5 million, there is a level of expectation that comes with that because people, particularly for a club like Arsenal, people will be, uh, you know, say, well, fuck, this guy must be amazing if Arsenal, of all clubs, are spending that much money on a kid who's, you know, still got so much to learn and you're still enduring the... David Luiz slash Mustafi art in inverted commas of central defending, you know, a performance art it might be, um, but maybe it's like one of those where it's just a mime artist flinging their own shit at you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so that I think people... It's the sort of thing you, you see at 4am at Clastonbury and you wake up the following morning and you go... Was that real? Fuck, was that, <laughs> how much acid did I take? Yeah, you know, and but he's he's had this sort of white knight um, mm. thing thrust upon him unfairly, I think, because he was only eighteen, and a lot of stuff happened. Um, so I hope he's got 
I, I think the loan spell that he had last season at Marseille will really have been a big boost to him and, and his own confidence and his ability to deal with some top-class footballers in Liga, not uh, as many as he will face in the Premier League, but some, but also the fact that he's been called up for France. He was the young player of the year. I think he should arrive at Arsenal feeling confident and ready for what the Premier League can throw at him. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, he he has kind of won an even tougher battle, like you say, in establishing himself in that France squad, which is mm. riddled with with top tier defenders. And I think like you say, he's Marseille is a great, almost a great place to get used to what life will, because, you know, it's one of the great mm. spotlights of French football as well, isn't it? And his, every comment was passed over for, for meaning as to whether he was staying, whether he was going and he will have to get used to that at Arsenal as well. You know, every, mm. every time he speaks, he'll be asked about his contract if he hasn't signed one, um, things like that. So it, it, the journey has been chaotic and not, I wouldn't trust the uh, the person that's been di- giving out directions, but, <laughs> but where Arsenal have got to is a good spot with Saliba. And um, yeah, I don't think, sadly, I don't think that will mean that everyone will just chill the fuck out for six weeks. Well, I give it six days. Yeah, well, let's see. Hopefully there's a bit more plain sailing because it's been choppy seas, that's uh, for sure. We'll do a few quick ones uh, to finish us off. Um Dangernomics says uh, the Premier League should approach referees like player transfers and sign the best refs and linesmen, uh, assistant referees, I think they're called now, uh, from leagues across the world rather than Greater Manchester. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I quite like that. I quite, li- I just quite like the idea that we could, the Premier League could become so all-encompassing and overpowering. That referee transfer news would become. Imagine, imagine there, imagine there are referee transfer ITKs. Fabrizio Romano, here we go, Pierre Luigi <laughs> Colina to the Premier League. Whoop whoop. Yeah. <laughs> Just bring me. Yeah. Yes, please. Strongly agree. Strongly agree. I wouldn't mind seeing it. I have to say, I, I just, you know, in general, would like to see a, a fairly substantial change in the way that refereeing is is um, dealt with in the Premier League, and and that's not just Mike Dean becoming the new um, VAR SAR um, or whatever the hell he's he's going to be. Um, Willie J says Arteta Ball is doomed to fail because the best player signings in each window for that uh, for that system will go to teams with more money like Chelsea and Man City. I mean, like, I suppose d- disagree, but uh, because, I mean, there aren't, there isn't just sort of one good player in every position. Mm. It's not, I mean, it's not doomed to fail. It's highly unlikely that Mikel Arteta will succeed by the standards that Arsenal and Arsenal supporters should hold, which is winning the title. I think at that level, he won't succeed. I think he will succeed if your expectations are adjusted to reality and, and where Arsenal are right now. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, I mean, Chelsea will spend loads of money, but they may well spend some of it on Romelu Lukaku. So I don't think it has to be a crisis. I mean, Manchester City, you just kind of need to wait till Pep gets bored and, the people above him get bored and then hope, but I don't think I don't think they'll get bored. Pep might. I don't think they will, and I think they'll yeah. you know they'll be in a position to bring in in the best guy possible. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I try not to worry too much about what other teams do 
because the focus really is on Arsenal and doing um, the best that we can in, in the transfer market. And I know people, you know, this week there was a bit of outcry when, you know, uh, some team signed some midfielder that, that everybody liked. Uh, but, you know, all we can do is do what um, do what we have to and fill the positions we need to fill, play the games and, and see what the hell happens. So, um, yeah, and like you say, there is there is more than just one good player. Like, if, if it's a choice for a player between Man City and Arsenal, I mean, I think he's going to choose Man City. You know, the potential, the potential to, you know, win things and the money on offer would be, you know, much greater at Manchester City. No two ways about it. But I don't know that we're necessarily competing with Manchester City for any signings, apart from Erling Haaland, who, you know, dealt Arsenal a massive blow in the transfer <laughs> window by by plumping for plucky little underdogs, Manchester City. Um, Greenkeeper JHB says Newcastle will be the biggest spenders in this transfer window. Uh, I mean, certainly there or thereabouts, won't they? I don't think they, I think they kind of do want to build, or they, everything they say is that they're not kind of, <laughs> everything they say is that they're not trying to, to run before they can walk. And I do think that's probably a, a shrewd way of, of going about things. You know, you don't want to bring Kylian Mbappe into a squad with John Joe Shelby, it's kind of better to raise the floor and then the ceiling, yeah. you know, yeah, rather than finding you've just, yeah, you've built a one story extension that sort of stretches up to the heavens and is no use to you. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, having said that, what they will do is, is just raise the floor with a string, I would think of 30 million pound signings that all add up to more than say Liverpool spend on Nunez and a, and a midfielder more than Arsenal spend on, on Tielemans and, and Jesus or whoever they may be. And, you know, so it'll be, it'll be between them, mm. United, maybe Chelsea. Yeah. I, I, I'm not the person that's terrified that they will come and claim Champions League this season. I mean, it is coming. It is, you know, it is a bit of a juggernaut that you won't be able to stop. Mm. But right now, you, you know, you, for unless they're willing to pay all the money in the world, and they may well be one day, but you're not going to Newcastle, much to say, you know, mm. if you've got Arsenal in Newcastle, you would probably still choose Arsenal yeah. this summer and maybe next after that. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, look, Manchester City have had a lot of money for a long time. And, you know, I think they are in a place right now that it, it took them some time to get there. I mean, they different owners, I know, but there's been a lot of money splashing around and uh, it does take time to build something that can be sustained. That's, I think, the issue. Uh, that we will see with there. Um, where I think Man United, by the way, will probably be the biggest spenders in the transfer yeah. market because they've they've decided that what they've been doing is um, not the right way to do it. They brought in a, a, a manager with some pedigree, but they're going to have to back that manager and back that manager in a fairly substantial way and not just the kind of uh, chaotic way they've been doing transfers for the last couple of years. There's going to be a bit of a plan to it. So I suspect they might be the ones. Um, oh, I think they'll find a way to be chaotic, though. I, I mean, hope so. Like, I, you know, yeah. wishing to get all Sky Sports pundit. This is Manchester United Football Club. You know, this is what they do. <laughs> let's hope so. Okay, uh, let's take this final one. Uh, and I like this one. It comes from Fantastic Mr. Fox. He said, VAR checks take so long because their eventual goal is to fill that time with on-screen ads. It's hard to sort of shake the scent. I mean, 
I think Varchek sometimes takes so long because um, in spite of everything we were promised at the outset, and I'm still just about pro-Var, they have indulged in a level of pedantry uh, that is utterly ludicrous. Um, but maybe you're right. And maybe actually, frankly, rather than just watching, you know, it's watching 700 different replays to see whether it skimmed the, the left fingernail of Imeric Laporte or whether, you know, Socrates was a millimeter offside or whatever it may be. Frankly, I'm getting to the stage where maybe I'd just rather would watch Smads. So, you know, if that is the plan, it's working. Crypto balls. Get your next <laughs> oh, crypto. crypto. Yeah, it's all about crypto and the, you know, um, Mike Dean NFTs, I think, are the new big thing. That's where we're going oh, to be. Oh, I'd buy them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, who <laughs> they could only go up in value. I can only imagine that they'll go Solid up. Solid in investment. All right. Look, we have to leave it there. But, James, uh, pleasure to talk to you as always. And uh, hopefully we can catch up again during the summer. Bro, thanks for having me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Thank you very much indeed to James. You can find him on Twitter. He is at James Benj, at James Benj, and he does football stuff for CBS Sports. Right. Well, that is just about that for this week's show. However, however, between the time that I recorded the first bit of the show and then pasted in the second bit of the show, and now I'm here doing this bit, there has been another tweet about Fabio Vieira. This time it comes from the man himself. David Ornstein, David says, Fabio Vieira set to join Arsenal from Porto. Fee, 35 million euros plus 5 million euros. Five-year deal. The 22-year-old attacking midfielder is flying to London today, Thursday, and will undergo a medical before completing the move. Process started and managed by George Mendes. So... There you go. Exciting stuff. Uh, an out-of-the-blue signing. When was the last time we had one of those? Nacho Monreal, I guess, was a, a deadline day signing, but a, a summer transfer when there's always so much speculation. People will remember Eduardo da Silva just being announced out of nowhere. Nobody had any kind of clue that there was anything going on in the background. So over the weekend, I will get together with uh, Phil Costa, and we will do, as we always do when Arsenal sign a new player, our new player pod. Uh, we'll have it over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash arseblog. We will probably have that for you on Saturday 
assuming that there's no spanner in the works or anything like that and everything continues along track. So you can join myself and Phil, find out more about the player on the podcast. And of course, you guys can check out his YouTube compilations. I've watched a couple today and they look very tidy, very tidy indeed. But we'll discuss him as a player. Phil knows him pretty well, having watched the uh, European Under-21 Championships in some detail. So we'll get a lot more background on Fabio Vieira over the weekend. So join us for that on Patreon. James and I will be here on Monday with another Arsecast Extra. Who knows who we will have signed by then? Sunday's probably just going to be like, eh, a quiet day, and then transfer bombs going off all over the place. As always, thank you very much indeed for being here. Hope you enjoyed the show. We will catch you on the next one. Have yourselves a great weekend. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. How would I sum myself up? Well, I guess I would say I'm just an average guy with an above-average knowledge of Arsenal transfer news. Do you think it's any coincidence that my name is Ian Thomas Kelly? That's right. I am literally I-T-K. I've forgotten more about Arsenal transfer business than you will ever know than any man on the street could possibly be aware of. All the names, all the positions, the negotiating stances, why a deal is done, why a deal wasn't done, why it broke down. I know it all. And there's literally no one, no one, who can hold a candle or any other kind of flaming device you might like to present to me when it comes to Arsenal's transfer business. Fabio Vieira, you say? No. No, that name doesn't ring a bell. Why? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.